Tapes. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hi there, my name is Ryan Subler, and I'm from Christian Coasters, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Hey kids, this is Ian from Theme Park Stop. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. Enjoy. Be nice to date. He's awesome. I accept the Coaster Challenge. 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 Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? What is the Coaster Challenge? A group of regular people that went from fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses. It's time to take the Coaster Challenge. Here are your hosts, David Cantu and Jenna Gazelle. Hey, how's it going, Jenna? Great, David. How's it going? It's going good, going good. How was your week? Long. <laughs> How was yours? About the same. Uh, it's uh, been a pretty busy summer. Definitely, at least for the start of it. I'm really glad because uh, compared to last year's summer, this one, it's really amazing how everybody is out and about this season. From a year ago, yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, I, everybody was kind of locked up in their houses a year ago, and now we're starting to come and out. And you can tell everybody, I think, just from being in lockdown, everybody's like, we are doing something this summer. Mm-hmm. And it looks like everybody. I mean, I've been to some of, I've been at our local parks uh, this past month, and I will tell you, the attendance is just a lot, it's a lot more busier than I've ever seen the parks here in Southern California have have been recently i mean i feel like magic mountain is almost becoming like disneyland lately on how the crowds and everything are which is it's really good and uh it's really good to see that everything is uh fully back open uh, kind of normalizing again yeah uh, it's it's definitely a 180 from last year i i'm really glad to see that and and so far from my travels this year around the country you can see it everybody is just relieved to just get back to, to some sort of normalcy right but uh yes yeah, and well i hope everyone out there is having a having a good weekend we've got a pretty exciting episode this is actually a very special episode because we've got a got a real special guest in the house today and uh i'm really honored we actually have in our own because coaster challenge studio is based here in burbank california and i'm really honored because we have the mayor of the city of burbank we have mayor bob frutos uh he is on the podcast today with andrew and uh this is really exciting because this is the first time we've ever had an elected official come on our podcast. Yeah, and for both of us being uh, born and raised in Burbank, that's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's really huge. I mean, Burbank is, I grew up here, I was, like you said, I was born and raised. Jenna and I have gone to school together, middle school and high school. Yep. And I'm happy to say that a lot of people on our team here, a lot of us, We all know each other from high school. We all graduated together in 1999 over at John Burroughs High School. Or a couple of years younger than us that graduated. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's just what we've been doing on this podcast is a real testament. Uh, Some of the incredible guests that we've had on so far, but the fact that we're getting the attention of our local mayor here. It's an honor. Yeah. It really is. It's a real honor. And uh, I'm really excited to have Bob on the show today. And Bob and I do know each other. We've sat in uh, committees together with the Boy Scouts of America. I've been very, I'm a very active person in the city 
city of Burbank. Uh, I was part of the Leadership Burbank program back in 2015, where I got to learn a lot more about our community. And if you guys have never been to Burbank, this is a very beautiful community. It's also the media capital of the world. This is this city is home to Warner Brothers Studios. It's also home to the Walt Disney Studios yep. and Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, NBC, NBC ABC. ABC yep. I, you you name it. If there's any studio that's out there, it's it's right here in the city of Burbank. It's funny because everybody thinks Hollywood is the capital of our movies and stuff, and it's like not really. It's all no, it's located always, in Burbank. All in Burbank. I mean, for everything from the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I mean, it's just yeah. It's just it's amazing, and a lot of major celebrities like I mean, Jay Leno that drives yeah, down San up and Fernando down there all the time. I mean, Burbank is also home to West Coast Customs. So this city has got everything going, and it's just like I said. I am really honored to have Mayor Bob Frutos on today. So, But we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, we're going to do our little segment, Jenna, the YouTube Highlight Clip, clip of, of the, the week. week. YouTube Clip of the Week. All right, so in this week's YouTube Highlight Clip of the Week, this is actually a very heartfelt uh, clip. Uh, considering that uh, we have Mayor Frutos on, Mayor Frutos also has had a career in law enforcement. And the one thing I will tell you that we are we always support our police officers and our firefighters, everybody. All of our, our first uh, responders, yeah, nurses, uh, doctors. Everybody in this community. Jenna and I happened to fa- found a very moving, heartfelt clip. It's it's uh, it's about, about 10 years old. It's something I want to highlight because I think that this is a testament of what it means to be an American. Ten years ago, a Wild County Sheriff's Deputy, uh, Sam Brownie, was killed in a line of duty back in 2010 out in Colorado. His son was very young at the time and, well, the police department did a charity auction. They were auctioning off his son, uh, his dad, the father's squad squad car. car. And the son, Tanner, wanted to buy that car because it's the one thing that his dad drove his whole life. They he actually worked hard to raise the money, and he went down to the auction. And when they went to bidding, unfortunately, Tanner did not have enough money to buy Outbid the car. Bid everybody else. Yeah, because he only had like thirty four hundred dollars. Yeah. But the car ended up selling for sixty thousand dollars. Now this goes. The money was raised to help to an organization that helps families of fallen police officers. But surprisingly, what was so heartfelt about this clip was the gentleman that purchased the car for $60,000 gave the keys to the car t- to the son to the son and put the son in tears and I th- I was so moved by that watching it it may it choked me up I mean it was just like that that was a really awesome deed that that guy did yeah I mean he didn't have to give the kid the car he could have given it to whoever and he just, he turned around and basically handed the kid the keys and was just like here's your car and the kid was he was very touched because here he was devastated stated he was just like yeah i'm not getting this and you all know. through the auction part he was breaking down in tears and his mom was there to comfort him and uh for this gentleman to do that it just reminds me that in this country there are still a lot of great people out there and people that care like that there's people out there that will do anything to help somebody and that is something i feel that anybody out there who's listening who feels like they're alone that has no help yes we there are a lot this is a great country everybody
everybody here does care about one another, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, especially in this past year with the pandemic. But yes, we are a strong country and there are people like this that show that this is what it means to be an American and that we care for one another. And this right here is a testament of that and I really wanted to highlight this clip because we need to remind everybody that we are all Americans in the end. You know what? I'll go even further. Not just all Americans, but we're all people. We all have our jobs. And unfortunately, lately, the press has been giving officers bad reputations because there's a few bad op- apples out there. But in at the end of the day, all they're doing is a job. Yeah. It's not who they are. It's, it's a very a dangerous job. It's a very dangerous job. I mean, it, I, it, it, you know, these, these guys put their lives on the line and this, this officer put his life on the line. And now his son doesn't have his father to grow up with and to be able to have that squad car and he planned that tanner plans on keeping that car for the rest of his life if you guys really like to see this clip we will be putting it in our show notes but the youtube video is called son of fallen deputy fails to buy his dad's squad car at auction i highly recommend you guys to take a look at this video it's a very moving story it's just just like i said it just gives me a remind it just reminds it's, a, it's definitely it pulls up the heartstrings yeah it really does. And even though a lot of our YouTube highlights, we like to show some funny moments and stuff, but I also like to show some heartfelt moments because this is something I feel in a time that, a time of divide, a time that we feel like this country is just falling apart around yeah, us. Uh, we just need to remind that there's stories like this out there, that there are people that do care and we need to make sure we highlight that as much as possible. So, And to yeah. thank all of our our police officers, firefighters, all our first who, responders, whoever it is, military, you know, they put their lives on the line where they don't get to come home to their families every night or things happen. I mean, yeah, I come from a military family, so Same I understand. Here. Same here. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's just got to remind everybody that people put their lives on the lines to be able to be able for us to do what we're doing right here, right now. So exactly. But this was a really good YouTube highlight clip clip of of the the week week. youtube clip of the week all right so andrew is standing by and he's with mayor bob frutos of the city of burbank and it's a real honor to have mayor frutos on today this is a really good interview guys i hope you really take the time to listen to this it's really good stories about fear and just just hearing his story is just really amazing so everyday life stuff yeah i mean just in his career in law enforcement alone is really amazing too so but andrew is standing by so take it away andrew thank you david and jenna this is andrew one of the producers of the coaster challenge podcast back with you again and we have had some very special guests on our podcast thus far a very young podcast only a couple months old but today we're topping everything everything we've done with something really special we have a very very special guest today i'm very honored to talk to i'd like to introduce to the coaster challenge audience mayor bob frutos he is the mayor of burbank california welcome to the podcast Mayor Frutos. Thank you so much for having me. I got to tell you, of all the interviews I've ever had in my uh, seven-year career as the uh, council member, now the mayor of the city of Burbank, this is the very first uh, interview 
that has nothing to do with politics, but has to do with conquering fear. So I'm quite excited and honored to be your guest. Thank you for reaching out to me, and I'm excited to uh, participate. Absolutely. We're glad to have you, and we're going to talk about fear today. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because, uh, you know, again, nothing to do with politics, but, you know, I know you, you like coasters to some degree. I also understand you like cars a lot. I'm a huge sports yeah. car fan. I've had many sports cars over the years, so we're probably going to talk about that a little bit later, too. But, uh, yeah, so, so you've certainly you've told our audience about yourself, and again, Mayor of Burbank, and I've been a city council member as well, you know, in years prior, that's excellent. So let's go ahead and just dive into the interview here. So we're going to talk about a few different topics. We're going to talk about theme parks and coasters a little bit. We're going to talk about fear and, and a few other things. So we're going to certainly, uh, you know, focus on your expertise and your career a little bit as part of that. But we'll start off light here. So again, we're a coaster podcast. So I know you've ridden some coasters. So tell me, what was your first roller coaster you ever went on? Oh my God. This was back when I was like 12 years old with my mom and dad. We went to Magic Mountain for the first time and we got on the Gold Rush. And we thought it was a ride that you know, took you into a mine and you learned about gold and mining and turned out to be a pretty wild roller coaster at the end when you get up to 60 miles an hour and you do those circles and stuff. I was like, whoa, uh, my dad is like, we got on the wrong ride. <laughs> yeah, that is a classic coaster. That's one of the first steel coasters ever built years ago. Like you said, one of the first roller coasters at Magic Mountain. It's mm-hmm. a mine train style coaster from a company in the name of Arrow, which is a company that was based in California down there in, uh, in near LA. So not far from uh, from where you are. Le- legendary company that's built many, 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 many roller coasters. So I've, I've been on Gold Rush. I used to live in California, as I mm-hmm. mentioned off the air before here. And, and I've been to Mountain, Magic Mountain many times. So that's, that's a fun classic coaster. So that's an interesting first coaster. You know, that was your first one. Now, it might be that one because you were very young back then or maybe something crazy since then. I know Magic Mountain's right in your backyard. They've built some crazy wild coasters over the years. So whether it be Gold Rush or maybe something more more recently, tell me about the one coaster that you were the most scared of getting on in your life. Oh, man. The one that uh, uh, scared me was Montezuma's Revenge at Knott's Berry Farm because interesting. I can go forward and handle the uh, G-forces when you're taking off to make that loop, but it's quite intimidating to me and scary as it creeps up to the top. You see the bumper at the end of the track, and then all of a sudden, you're swinging backwards around that loop, and then you're stopping behind it, and you're looking straight down. That one gave me the creeps. Yeah, I've been on that. I've been on the rides like that. That's a a classic, or sometimes a classic uh, Schwarzkopf shuttle loop, and that's that's a legendary coaster design, you know, again, older coaster design. And I get it. Yeah. I mean, even today, not a lot of coasters go backward. Yeah. And not only does that one go backwards, but it, it goes upside down. It goes in a loop. So I totally get it. I can understand mm-hmm. how that would scare you. Yes. Yeah, so, so, and that's at Knott's Berry Farm. They're not, again, not far from, uh, you know, so to speak, in your backyard there in, mm-hmm. uh, in California. So let's talk a little bit about what that experience was like. So what I'd like to understand is, is as best as you can recall, when you were online for that ride for Montezuma's Revenge, do you remember kind of what it was like, what you were thinking, what you were feeling as you were getting closer and closer to the station and getting on the ride and kind of impending oh. doom, you know, so. Very nervous, sweaty palms, looking for the chicken exit, but not have enough <laughs> courage to go through the chicken exit. Just very nervous, sweaty palms, faster heartbeat. Just really, really scared. Sure. That's uh, all those you mentioned scared and, and everything you're describing is typical of fear and, and that sort of anxiety in the moment and so forth. So you you went on the ride. You didn't check it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So how did you feel once you got off the coaster and you had, you had conquered those fears? You know, I was relieved. I had tears in my eyes, just watery eyes and shaky legs, a relief that I did it and dizzy. A little dizzy. Okay. Yeah. Now, have you, did you ride that again that day or did you ride it later on at other visits? I, I wrote it. I wrote it again at another visit, but I couldn't write and it the same day all over again. Okay, we're a little shaky, but well, when you yeah. went back for another visit, it was it easier to get on it? You had conquered that fear. You knew what it was going to be like. I I knew what it was going to be like, but the fear factor was still there. It never went away even until today. Really? Wait, yeah, I'll still so do, have, I'll still ride it, but I still have the same shaky nervousness, sweaty palms, hearts racing looking for the chicken exit. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So have, now have you been to say, for example, Magic Mountain in more recent years, say in the past, say 10, 20 years? Uh-huh. Okay. So have you been on some of their newer coasters? Have you been on like X, X2 or Goliath? Oh, no. That's way too scary for me. Okay. That's uh, way too. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I think the last latest roller coaster at Magic Mountain that I rode and it scared the heck out of me was uh, the West Coast Customs roller coaster. Right. Right. Now that one's interesting because I know the owner of West Coast Customs that built the coaster and he had invited me for the private unofficial celebration, grand opening right. of the coaster. I couldn't say no. And that one really scared me because I had my eyes closed the whole time because you go upside down like three different times. And then you're literally on top of the other coaster where there's one below you. Right. And then, right. And then it's really scary because just when you think it's over, I forgot that you go through it again. On the other side. Right. Yeah. Yes. You're, the, you're the other side now. Yeah. Yeah. And while you're while you're in that little house. The little barn that the your coaster pulls in while they're loading the other coaster up. I can't wait to get off it, but it's a long three to four minutes you're waiting. <laughs> right. And that's pretty freaky. But you're stuck there. And as soon as you take off, I could not open my eyes. I tried to see the other coaster below me, but I was so scared. And every time we, we went upside down, I felt my, my tush coming off the seat a little bit. And that really freaked me out. Yeah, that's airtime. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Get it. yeah. A, a lot of crazy coaster enthusiasts, people like David and I, we uh -huh. we we crave that airtime. But you know, some people it can be it can be scary too. I get it. I get it. So oh. so you were talking about uh, that's West Coast Racers. Yeah. The actually the newest roller coaster at Magic Mountain opened yep. about a yep. year ago, a little more. And that was uh, I believe that's Ryan from West Coast Customs. He owns yep. West Coast Customs, right? Right. So yes. yeah, nice. Yes, I've seen the interview that you did with him as part of the uh, Mayor Show. Oh yes, yes. It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're a great interview. Again, I'm a big car guy. I think it's really cool the cars that they they uh, customized there. And I remember you drove the new brand new Corvette C8 at the end. That was really cool. Oh, that's a neat car. Yeah, that's a beautiful that's awesome. car. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So it sounds like even after being on these coasters, you know, you still have some fear and so forth. So, but it, would you say in any way, you know, whether it be after that first ride with Montezuma's Revenge or having been on West Coast Racers and others that you in certain ways conquer that fear and you kind of feel like you're better, better set for it? Or is it that fear is still the same magnitude for you, even after riding these? You know, the fear is still always there. It never goes away. My favorite coaster is the, what's that, the Ghost Rider at Knott's Oh, Ghost Rider. Yes. 
Yes. And I'm always paranoid to ride it because I get scared on the first three downs because I always get off the seat. And even though I know we're only going about 60 miles an hour, but just the, the loud sound and the banging around side by side and the sharp turns and stuff, it scares me. But I know uh, uh, David was telling me about how he, he uh, one certain roller coaster that he went on was was a complete change for him in, in the yeah. fear and conquering it. You know, I, I had a different experience, but it didn't involve roller coasters. My fear factor that I mm -hmm. conquered was when I was a teenager, about 16, 17 years old, as a police explorer scout, our troop leader took us to Morning Cavern, hmm. and we went caving, splunking, and that included a 350-foot repel into the mouth of the cave and crawling oh, wow. out. Yeah, and, it, and you know, it's... You conquer your, your fear of dark, being claustrophobic, crawling in spaces that it doesn't look like you're going to fit through there or you're going to get stuck. Right, right. It kind of goes to me hand in hand with roller coasters because it taught me controlling the fear factor and trying to maintain a level-headedness of uh, objectivity to assess the situation Right. And move and move forward. And I relate the same thing when I ride roller coasters. I like the fear factor, I guess, deep down because I'll still ride one. Right. But I go back to that experience of caving, repelling and crawling in these tight crevices that if it wasn't for the coaching of the guy and the and the mind control of the ob objective is to make it through this this cave, this cavern to the right. next number. That's how I kind of relate your topic of uh, the fear factor in, in, in conquering the fear of riding roller coasters. Right. Equivalent to me caving when I was a youngster. I'm really glad you shared that. I think I'd, I'd like to talk about that and forgive the pun, but dive into that. And that absolutely. And before we do that, I just wanted to comment. Uh, Ghost Rider, I've been on Ghost Rider. Again, I used to live in California. I went to Knott's Berry Farm all the time. And I've been on literally hundreds of coasters all around the world. And I just would like to kind of relate and share to you that Ghost Rider is my favorite wooden coaster. So it's, it's up there in my top 10 list. And I, I love it. So much fun. But let's talk about about this uh, caving. So basically, as, as I believe we've shared with you a little bit about the mission of this podcast, really mm -hmm. what we're trying to do is to help people conquer fear. Now, what happens in life is you, you, you can face one fearful situation and conquer it, perhaps doesn't mean you're not going to ever face fear again or deal with fear. Life is full of uncertainty, which is mm -hmm. what fear is, is basically really about. But the idea that we have and that we try to try to focus on is by conquering fear in one area, you're doing strength training of the mind. And mm -hmm. that better helps you and better prepares you to deal with other areas of uncertainty and fear later on in life. It, it might be another roller coaster. It might be caving. It might be, you know, trying to get a new job and interviewing in front of a large group of people, you know, public presentations and it can be a whole different, all sorts of different things. So, you know, at the end of the day, what matters most to us is not that you conquered fear on a, mo on a, on a roller coaster. It's that you have done things to conquer fear. And we like to talk about how that has impacted you. So let's talk about this pivotal uh, experience, which I think is fascinating. I, I've never really done much of any caving in my life, but I, I'm familiar with, I've seen movies and documentaries. 
So obviously you were scared. I mean, 350 feet rappelling and going into these small crevices. And, um, you know, for people that would be claustrophobic or are claustrophobic, that'd be very frightening. Of course, you went through this and it sounds like you had a very pivotal experience after, after going through this and obviously surviving it when you were a kid, how did that impact your life? You know, whether it be short term right afterwards and longer term, talk about that. You know, that's a great question because until this podcast, I never really thought about it. So you're making, you're, you're stimulating my thoughts, which is great. Interesting. I guess looking back now, and I'm 57 years old now, I, I believe that it gave me the self-confidence, the discipline of looking at any situation, whether it's me being a police officer and dealing with a, a life-threatening uh, situation or running for public office and knowing that I have a little bit of uh, a learning dyslexia a little bit because there's some words that are really, really hard for me to pronounce. And I know that uh, if you're not one of my favorite folks that likes me now, because the longer you stay on council, the more votes you might take against what people like you to vote on. Sure. So, you know, when you're in politics, that happens. And trying to always pronunciate the words and, and prepare phonetically how to pronounce these $10 words. So <laughs> getting back to your question, I believe, as I'm thinking this out loud, is the fear factor of caving got my mind, and I think about it till today, to analyze the situation in front of me, look at it objectively, and always look at it, what I like to say, at the 30,000 jet plane level. Sure. So I can everything, make a decision when I'm scared based on logic mm. versus allowing emotions to take over in a decision that, because when you're a police officer or in my new career as a as the mayor of Burbank, the residents are emotional. As a police officer, the victims of crime to even the bad guys or bad girls, they're passionate and emotional in the situation. And it's my job, again, whether I'm the mayor or a police officer, is to make a objective decision based on policy, the law, local ordinance, state laws, state ordinances, but make it unemotional common sense with logic in the decision making. And I think the fear factor is understanding the fear, the emotions, the, the, the naturalness of this. This is not normal. This is not what I'm used to. But taking a step back and thinking methodically of the decisions, the different avenues I might have to take and try to think about the consequences objectively in my decision making because remember for every action there is a reaction sure sure i don't know if i thought on that no you did not i'm front <laughs> completely with you there and uh, i it makes a tremendous amount of sense and you know one thing that i'll mention to you is uh, i've interviewed quite a few people for this podcast uh, you know, David has, and we, we have another producer, Iva, who's done some interviews. And each guest that we have has a different perspective on this topic. And your, ta your, your perspective is different, but I think very, very powerful. Because if you think about it, fear, it's the fight or flight response. It's an emotionally based response. Absolutely. It's mm -hmm. emotionally charged. With it being emotionally charged and being a, a stressful situation, we're not going to be, as they say, thinking straight, usually in these situations. We're not going to be thinking objectively. We're not taking that... 30,000 foot level, which I, I love. I use a similar term myself all the time. And in life, we're, we're right there in the weeds with it, not really focused on 
what really is going on and what really could happen. And in fact, we are generally giving into our own personal demons in those situations with fear and mm-hmm. automatically <laughs> ignoring the good and even likely possibilities of what would happen in that situation and only focusing on the negative and the bad. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, repelling into that cave, you're, oh, I'm going to get stuck in that cave. Oh my God, I'm not going to get out. I'm not going to find my way. I'm going to get lost in there, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And those are all emotionally charged responses. So where you have been able to, from that experience and, and, and living through that experience, perhaps even enjoying it years ago, that you can recognize that, okay, yes, the emotions come in. I'm going to feel those emotions. It's okay. Those are okay to have, but I'm not going to let them rule over me. And instead mm-hmm. I'm going to be as objective as I can and, and look at it as, okay, yeah, I may get stuck in the cave, but that's not mm-hmm. to say very likely. It's very mm-hmm. likely I'm here with experts, people to help that I'm going to make it through this. I'm even going to enjoy this. I'm going to learn from this. And again, taking that higher level, more logic-based approach. I mean, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. And I'm, I'm an engineer. That's what I do for a living. You know, everyone has emotions. We all have emotions, but I try to use a very, like a problem solving method, the scientific method as it's called, and really look at things logically myself. And I'm not always successful, but I try to be, you know, no one's perfect and that's okay. But I, I really appreciate your perspective. That makes a lot of sense. Now, by the way, I'm it's sorry, like, you say something? It's like writing a ghost writer. I'm scared to the T when I get there, <laughs> but I like that roller coaster. It's a fear factor, but logically I'm saying, wait a minute, this is approved by the Public Utilities Commission. This gets inspected every morning. There's thousands of people that ride this coaster every day. So logically, all the safety precautions are taken. And that's how I get the courage to put one foot in front of the other and not go out the chicken exit. Right, right. That makes sense. You you acknowledge that, okay, yeah, it's scary because things could go a certain way. That's not great. But you acknowledge and you trust the professionals and all the, the safety inspections and the maintenance crews and, and, the, and the record of that coaster. I don't think there have been any major no. incidents on Ghost Rider. I don't think believe. Not on Ghost And you know, okay. Yeah. And occasionally that happens with a coaster, even even it's happened at Disney, but it's so rare. It's even safer than being on an airplane, they say. So so and then looking at that from a logical fact based approach is powerful. So, yeah, so you're still scared when you get a ghost rider and you get on it because you use that logic based 30,000 foot level approach and then you wind up having some fun on it. Mm -hmm. Now, do you recognize that, that doing things that are scary and facing them? Do you think that, you know, the caving? The getting on Ghost Rider multiple times, that that helps you to not be as scared in other situations that come up in life. Do you, yes. Do you see that? Or, okay. Yep. I, I do because, again, we just talked about it earlier. It's about acknowledging a human emotional reaction to a situation that you have no control over. And right. we, all, right. we all fear something or another. Some people, you'll never know they were scared because they're like solid like a rock when you look at them. (laughs) But internally, they develop some type of coping skill based on on something that impacted their lives earlier on how they handle the fear factor. Right, right, right. Everyone has a different story. Everyone has different experiences that will reflect on how they deal with future situations and future experiences for sure, for sure. Correct. So I know you've, uh, and I, and I was aware of this and, you know, David and I, uh, you know, David's, I know a personal friend of yours and he's lived yes. in Burbank all his life and, and that's great. And I've been to your city, by the way, I've not spent a lot of time in Burbank, but I've been there. It's a beautiful city and been uh-huh. to the, I think the main mall there and, and, and so forth. Of course, the studios there, I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've 
been entertained for years based on the uh, Burbank Studios and the productions they have there and, and whatnot. So it's a wonderful city. Um, I know that before even you were mayor, before you were city councilman, you spent uh, years uh, as a law enforcement in law enforcement as a police officer. And by the way, thank you for your service. Thank I very you. Much appreciate that. That's a, not an easy profession. Very dangerous. And obviously, whether it be in your years of experience in law enforcement or being involved with city politics, you were talking earlier about you know the the the, the votes that you have to cast and. Some people obviously will not agree with all the votes in each vote, and you're going to have people on different sides. You know, obviously, you've met, you, you've dealt with, and been right up in front with uh, various people over the years, whether it be people maybe you're, you know, in a dangerous situation as a law enforcement officer, or people you're arresting, or, or, or whatnot, uh, dealing with maybe uh, um, uh, situations where there's domestic abuse and two different factions you have to get between and keep people safe. All these, all these very, very crazy situations that come up in normal people. People that you know are not in law enforcement we don't deal with on a regular basis but so you're dealing with a lot of people that are charged emotionally major issues that are dealing with in their lives maybe drugs or weapons or whoever it may be so you're dealing with a lot of emotion a lot of challenges you face right front and center and people struggling at the end of the day with their own demons you know problems in their life fear um, you know, there's there's abuse and anger, and you know, all, all these negative, scary things that that happen to the human human beings as as people. What is your perspective? Forget about your own things you've dealt with, but just in what you've seen in others. What is your perspective on dealing with with for people to deal with their own demons? Because you've seen it with so many people. What advice would you give people? Again, not based on, based on your personal experience with your own demons, but seeing people dealing with their other their own demons themselves. What 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 would you like to share there? You know, that's a kind of a loaded question because it really it really goes back to individual person's people's perspectives because sure. we, we you know we all go through different stages of life the first stage is when we went to school and we're by ourselves mom and dad aren't around and we either cried or we panicked or we really enjoyed it so that was a psychological impact and then maybe the second one was maybe when you left for college and your parents dropped you off in your dorm and the door closed and you've said, wow, I'm really on my own. And then comes maybe the day you got married or the day you you committed your heart and soul to another individual and you're forming a life together and God forbid, but it happens, you have a divorce or a broken heart and you're dealing with that type of emotion, but it's a building block as your life continues. But sure. really What's really important for anybody that has demons or emotional stress, uh, a broken heart is allowing time to go through the broken heart process, the grieving process, the loss of a child or a parent, embracing that this is human nature. This is this is part of the healing process. Never being scared to call somebody on the phone and talk about what you're feeling, what you're expressing, whether it's a professional counselor, uh, a psychologist, or a best friend. But everybody is so different. Everybody has a whole different perspective. I guess to answer your question would be communication, circling around your very close friends that you can confide in, open, share. To me, that's important how to how to deal with it. Sure, sure. Those are that's great advice. Something that 
not only can I agree with, but I've certainly heeded myself over the years. And, you know, just like anyone else, I'm, I'm not too far behind you. I'm about 10 years, your junior, 47 years old. And I've, I've had a, a great life, quite frankly, but, uh, you know, certainly my ups and downs and, and mm-hmm. challenges. And I've dealt with the depression and anxiety in my both myself and, and friends and family. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Having that support network and talking to professionals and, and, and what I agree. I agree. Absolutely. So perhaps I, I could ask, a question because I'm just curious if perhaps there's something that, that you can uniquely share because again the kinds of experiences you've had again in law enforcement and perhaps even in the city council where you're dealing with things in the moment that a lot of people don't necessarily deal with on a regular basis so you know for example let's say you were dealing with someone or a group of people or various people over time in law enforcement mm-hmm. uh, very very uh, stressful situations high energy situations where you're trying to diffuse them trying to calm people down kind of get people to start thinking logically and take the emotions away from things. And obviously, yes, sure. Many of those people, I'm sure, hopefully long-term, they got into situations where they would go back home and talk to their family, talk to their friends, get help over time, maybe go get a therapist and time heals. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. I'm a huge believer in those two idioms. They're very commonly used, but that's for a good reason. They are part of the human condition. And they're very true. Those are things over, over a longer duration, but in the moment, which is what a law enforcement officer has to deal with. You're not, you don't have the luxury of having a therapist there for, for hours on end to, to get that person to where they need to be. So in the moment when you've dealt with situations, what kinds of things have you, what kinds of tools have you used? What kinds of uh, things have you said and, and done? You know, because really what I think you have a unique perspective here, given your experience to help our listeners in conquering fear and dealing with challenges in life is do something right then and there, kind of like a critical moment. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what could you share there? You know, I've always used monitor my body posture. How am I, you know, talking? Am I talking with with sunglasses on so they can't see my eyes? Are my arms crossed? Are they, are my hands in my pocket? The first approach I try to do as I'm assessing the situation is allow that person that's having a meltdown, know that one, I'm there to help. Two, if they're not a threat to anybody and they're not a threat to themselves, sometimes the best thing to do is to let them vent because that'll help me kind of analyze and assess what is wrong with them and to use a lot of echoing so they know I'm listening to them very actively and sure. try to get it, try to get them to calm down a couple notches before I have to do anything because I've learned, I've learned a lot that no matter whether it's on city council or as a police officer being engaged with the public the public will have an emotional connection and internalize whatever whatever's upsetting them, whatever's disappointing them, or whatever's frustrating them, or even scaring them, to them, that's the world they're in. Right. They're so passionate and emotional. And I, I can't always come across to appear very objective to them because I have to show a human compassion side to establish some type of rapport. Sure. And rapport could be anything from just a smile, maybe picking up something that they might have said that isn't very, very important to them and echoing that a couple of times so they know I'm listening and body language. Sure. Those all make a lot of sense. With the body language, you don't want to intimidate them. You want to come across as, you know, being on their level, not 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 trying to come across as mm-hmm. being too authoritative. And, and then like you said, listening to what they're saying, kind of echoing what the echoing and 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 recognizing their concerns concerns or their complaints or their whatever their mm-hmm. issues are and and again getting them to calm down and being relatable to them and then right. once you can kind of get them down a couple notches you can start 
to go hopefully get their logic to come more into play and to think mm-hmm. about things more calmly, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Okay. That's a good, that's excellent. And I think, you know, that again, that's a unique perspective because, you know, again, a lot of us, David, myself and our listeners, we're not dealing with high energy, high level, potentially even dangerous situations like that on a regular basis, which is a good thing. That's, you know, because then we're not, we're not necessarily trained for that. So I think it's good for our listeners to hear about, you know, to think about, you know, oh, wow, if I'm the rare time I might deal with a potentially high energy high dangerous situation. Those are some, that's really some good advice. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's excellent. Mm-hmm. We've talked about a, a number of serious things. So let, let's talk about some little more fun thing here. You know, we talked about coasters, but I understand that uh, you're, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you're really passionate about cars. So tell me about your, mm-hmm. your passion for cars. You know, I currently have my dream car, which is a 2014 Corvette Stingray. Did you ever see the movie Gran Torino? I've not, but I've heard of it, but Oh, no, not okay. There's a scene where Clint Eastwood, he worked at the uh, Ford manufacturing plant and he bought a Gran Torino that he worked on and built. And he didn't really drive it too much in the movie, but he took it out every couple of weeks and he polished it and parked it in the front of his driveway and had a beer. And his satisfaction was looking at that beautiful, shiny American-made car and what the Gran Torino in his mind stood for. And it stood for the American values, the you know, the muscle behind the car in that movie, he, that was a symbol. That was uh, the way he felt his country was at that time versus where it was toward the end of the movie and all the changes hmm. with, dif- with different races and cultures moving into our cities. And he was having issues with that. Interesting. And, Interesting. And so I've always loved different cars the technologies. Uh, and, you know, I look at a car and I look at the, uh, what they stand for at the, at that time when they were built, kind of like Clint Eastwood in that movie. And I mean, I, if you look at the uh, late 80s uh, 5.0 Ford Mustang, every time I, I see one, you don't see too many anymore. And it's not your traditional 50s car. I'm, I'm talking about during my lifetime, my experiences. I look at that Mustang, the 5.0, that that used to be the California Highway Patrol's five-speed stick shift police car that they used to use out on Interstate 40 to catch speeders. Interesting, right. So I relate to that car, or I can look at a uh, 82 Chevy El Camino when they came out with the V6, and that's when we started getting into smaller engines. We went to the uh, uh, fuel embargo at that time when you buy gas. uh, Every, uh, you know, if your license plate was even, you get on even days. If it ended odd, (laughs) you get an odd day. Unless you had a pickup truck and I had a commercial license plate. So each car has a certain mystique about it because it takes me down to a period in my life that I think about what happened in my history when I look at that car. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, because absolutely. So cars, even if it's a Corvette and the Corvettes have been around since what, the the 50s, but there's different models and they're each different and you know, they're now and basically into the eighth generation of Corvette. And, yep. you know, the different models have been very different. So you can remember, you know, a certain generation of Corvette being corresponding to a certain time period. And as you mentioned, you know, the 70s and what happened with the Middle East and the, the fuel embargo and that, mm-hmm. that we had very large cars, inefficient cars back yep. in the 70s. And then they slimmed down into the 80s because of that. And there's been, you know, various shifts over the years, most recently, again, for economy and, and for environmental reasons, especially 
lot of that being spearheaded in California in various ways, going from uh, conventional uh, internal combustion engine cars, ICE vehicles, into mm -hmm. hybrids and now full-on electric cars. And the technology involved with that and improvements and, and performance even uh, can be significantly improved with electric cars in many cases. But uh, there's all these, all these generational changes that happen with, with society, society's requirements and pushes and technology and everything else. But so, um, so you have a 2014 Corvette, you said? Yep. A Corvette Stingray. So that's the first year of the C7. Yep. C7, they, right. They redesigned the model. It was basically the poor man's Ferrari because it's got the same, how would I say, demand, not necessarily dimensions, but it has the same technology to keep up with the Ferrari without having to pay three or $400,000. Right. Yeah. C7s, you can buy them new with it. They're now onto the C8, but the C7, when it was yeah. around up until about a year or two ago, you could get them for as low as, you know, about $50,000 and even yep. loading them up, you're still sub a hundred thousand dollars for the most part. Um, yep. I actually nearly bought a C7 myself. Oh, um, uh, great. I drove it. Great car. It just, it was just, it felt too big for me. I, I'm a mm -hmm. big sports car driver and I like right. smaller little smaller cars but um i actually my my current car is a is i would call it a sports car it's a an american built car right there in california and i already kind of alluded to this briefly i'm a, i love technology i have a uh a tesla model y and it's oh, the fastest fair. car i've ever owned yeah zero to 60 4.2 seconds and i haven't paid a penny to fuel it because i've got solar here in my home in the sunshine state in florida oh. and it generates power than i need and i get and with, with net metering and everything else uh, every Every amount of charge that's gone into it has been, I've, I've had more than enough solar to, to, to generate for it, if you will, to, to charge it. So Ouch. yeah, it's great stuff. But I love cars that go fast. I love fast acceleration. I love fast acceleration more than going a high speed because, you know, I, I want to follow the law. I don't want to be driving right. 100 and getting a ticket, but it's yeah. fun to get up to speed, you know, at a, at a, mm -hmm. with, a, with a quick and a good handling and everything else. But yeah, so I, I, I love that you're, because I can relate to this as well, your car journey where you can you know, remember cars that you loved and or or stuck mm -hmm. out for you over the years, and they corresponded to certain parts of your life. So that, that's that's mm -hmm. that's excellent. You know, obviously, passions in our life, and we mm -hmm. were talking about you know, of course, coasters for a lot of our listeners. And we we're talking about cars. Passions can help us enjoy life and can help us deal with some challenges in life. So, so obviously, you you love your cars. You've got a tremendous automobile. C7 is an incredible car. So how would you say that, you know, maybe for you, or you can imagine for others, that being passionate about cars or having a, a nice sports car, muscle car, for example, American built muscle car, how that can help with stresses? You know, if you, if you have a passion in whatever it is, whatever really floats your boat, that you just really have a natural incline, it really helps you to break away from whatever is bothering you or whatever, you know, could be happening at work or, you know, God forbid, but, you know, you're going through a separation or you lost a parent or a child. The passion you have is really part of your identity. It's part of your makeup. It's part of who you are. And to spend time, whether it's a car, fishing, knitting, basket weaving, uh, you know, star navigation at night. By spending time with that, psychologically, you're breaking away 
from the negativity that you have to deal with because the problem will be there tomorrow when the sun comes up. Sure. But the, but the advantage you have is that you're going to break away and take two or three days to do what you want to do, what makes you happy. It takes your mind off the current negative situation because you're going to be occupied in something positive, productive, and you can get lost in your own world that nobody else is there but you. And sure. then when you, when you come back out into the reality and you're tackling on that problem, you're, you didn't dwell on it for two or three days. You, you, right. you shut your mind off. You did something different. You did something productive. When I'm stressed out, before I go to bed, I always tell my mind, I'm tired. Please allow me to go to sleep. We'll work on this tomorrow because I don't go to bed thinking about problems. And sometimes right. I do when they're overwhelming, but <laughs> my, my little recipe is as soon as I close my eyes, I tell my mind, stop thinking about this. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Start thinking about other things. And I usually reflect on positive inferences at different times in my life to forget about the problem that will be there tomorrow when the sun comes up and I'll deal with it tomorrow. Or I tell my brain, you know what? Let me sleep. You think about it on your own. And when we wake up tomorrow, bring me up to speed. That makes a lot of sense. And I can very much relate. Uh, you know, cer certainly, you know, perhaps the first step dealing with a stressor that is a very real stressor is to acknowledge it, you know, acknowledge mm -hmm. that it exists. Don't try to ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist. But then, you know, perhaps deal with it in its time or let it kind of sit and kind of kind of figure it out over time. But in the meantime, as you said about with passions, whether it be, you know, riding roller coasters, or having a car and taking your car for a drive or going away for a weekend, or even, you know, not even a passion, just, you know, giving yourself a good night's sleep where you're not thinking and dwelling on the issue as you're trying to get a night's rest and, you know, causing your mind troubles there, getting that critical break from whatever it is. And really what you've described is something as someone who's dealt with depression and anxiety in my life, I've learned over the, over time more and more to practice mindfulness. And mindfulness is about avoiding the ping pong between depression, lamenting about the past, lamenting about decisions that one made or didn't make and paths not taken, which again, we can't do anything about the past. We don't have time travel. And lamenting about that and feeling bad about that, guilty and whatnot, it's depression versus ping pong into the other end, which is thinking about the future. Again, having distorted thoughts and, and this is where fear comes in and, oh my gosh, Oh, I, I can't, I can't do that interview tomorrow. And oh, I'm going to be awful. And I, I can't get up and speak in front of people. And oh, I'm not good enough for that job or you know, whatever it may be that the being your own worst enemy and, you know, believing that you can't do something without any real good evidence for it. And that's anxiety and not, and thinking about the future and worrying about the future in, in, in many respects and things that are not really valid or not logical, as we talked about earlier. And mm -hmm. instead of, of, of ping pong between those, if you stay in the moment, because again, you can't change the past. If, if you're going to have an interview tomorrow, that's going to happen tomorrow. Make sure you're prepared. But otherwise, don't worry about it. It's going to happen tomorrow. And if you get all worked up about it and you're not, and you're not being relaxing beforehand, you're going to be worse off from it. So instead of worrying about it, as long as you're prepared, or it's an exam, you study for the exam, take a load off. One of the best 
um, in college, one of the best exams I ever had where it was a tough exam and I aced it. You know what I did? I had what? studied for it. I went to a movie before that class. I had a couple, a couple, a couple classes. I love movies. A couple class break, you know, a few hours break so I could go to a movie. And I went to the movie. I remember I saw Mr. Holland's Opus, which is an amazing movie. This is back yep. in the 90s. And mm-hmm. I went to that exam right afterwards. And I, I was relaxed and centered and focused on the exam because I had, I had chilled out. I had given my mind a break. So it's exactly what you're talking about, Merfordos. Is, mm-hmm. is staying in the moment, keeping yourself in the moment. If you're dealing with a stressful situation, it, that situation is going to be there no matter what. It's going to, if it's a real situation. But if you can, for example, as many of our listeners do, David and I and yourself sometimes, go to a theme park, ride a roller coaster, mm-hmm. immerse yourself in these incredible lands that Disney and Universal and other parks build and, and put yourself there and just enjoy it and be in that, that place to, to escape from reality for a little bit for an unhealthy escape and just be in those great moments and enjoy your time with your friends and your family and that great food and those great attractions that Mm -hmm. can be incredibly healthy because you're giving your mind a critical break and it'll be better prepared when you're done at the park and you're back at home or back at work, whatever your, your problems lie to deal with those problems. Yeah. And so, so I, I very much value what your, your great advice there is something I can relate to. It's I've just shared and I very much appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Um, so I can't, given that you're mayor of Burbank and have been mm-hmm. in Burbank for a long time, and we've talked about cars, you probably know where I'm going with this. I got to ask you, there is a very, very well-renowned American citizen, very famous American citizen who has one of the most incredible car collections. So you know who I'm talking about, Mr. Jay hey. Leno, former Tonight Show host. So how have you met Jay? Have you been to his, his uh, hangar and seen his car? You know, it's, I've never been invited to his hangar. Really? I, I never have. And I've been in Burbank now for 28 years, been on the council for seven, never been invited to go to his uh, you know garage. But I have met him at local eateries here. And I have met him up at uh, Newcomb's uh, uh, restaurant which is up on uh, Angeles Crest Forest Highway that uh, most mm. car guys and bikers go up there to grab a burger and listen to some uh, band music and, uh, you know, nice. show cars off or our bikes off. And he's been there and we've talked and I have a, an autographed picture of him in my city hall office, but I've never been to his uh, garage, never been invited. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's surprising. Well, at least you've met him. I, I've never met him personally. Actually, I think David David knows him uh, because he, David, you know, is a business owner there in Burbank and uh, you know, operates a business there. And, and I know he's met him, but um, I know Terry's a wonderful person. But you know, maybe yeah. one day, hopefully in the near future, maybe you'll get to the opportunity. I know I would. I, I've seen the his show, you know, Jay Leno's mm-hmm. Garage, and the you know the car collection is just incredible. I've been to many car museums. The Peterson there in L.A., not far from you, and. And uh, yeah, that, yeah, I, I hope you get a chance because, you know, given your car passion, given your, your service to the city of Burbank, I think it'd be very appropriate for you one day to, to, to get a peek in there at what he has there. So <laughs> I've never been there yet. <laughs> um, well, again, thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing all that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our, with our listeners? And it, again, you know, again, these are not just coaster enthusiasts and coaster fans. We really try to focus on helping the people that listen to have better lives and to deal with life stressors and fears and things like that. Anything else you'd like to share? Some final words of wisdom. You know, I really like what what you and Dave are doing. And I think this podcast is really cool. Thank you. And I really hope that your listeners, whether it's mine or somebody else's, really send this to somebody that has a fear about something. But 
I really recommend to, to your viewers, your listeners, that fear is normal. Fear, believe it or not, is healthy because it protects us. We have fear of fire. So, you know, we don't, we don't mess with fire. Uh, we have a fear of guns because that's, you know, for a lot of people, you know, that kills people. Sure. So as an example, you know, fear is healthy. Fear is normal. But if, if you're really, really scared of something that's not allowing you to continue to move yourself forward in your life, reach out to somebody, reach out to a friend, uh, reach out to a professional, but don't keep it inside you. You got to talk and you got to find your niche. You know, never lose your personal identity, never lose your passions, never, never lose what makes you happy as an individual. And when, when it really gets rough and tough for you, take a step back, take a deep breath, Get a journal, write down your feelings and emotions on one side of the of the notebook. And then on the other side, give yourself a roadmap for tomorrow. Hey, tomorrow, okay, you know what? I'm going through a nasty divorce, but tomorrow I gotta talk to my attorney or I gotta go to court or you know, I gotta I, I gotta prepare for a job interview. You know what? On one side, hey, you know what? I'm scared, I don't know this job, or yeah, I get tongue-tied. Then on the other side, say, okay, tomorrow I wanna wake up, you know know what? I'm going to call two of my friends to have a mock interview and I'm going to talk about myself and have them critique me. Do something to benefit yourself, but don't don't get so absorbed in a pity party that you never allow tomorrow when the sun comes up to face that demon, to face that fear and take another step forward. Because remember, in life, the sun will always come up, but are you ready to take that step forward? And only you as an individual can make that decision to take that next step to improve your life because you are the driver of your life. The situation might not be the best. The situation could be terrible, but I've learned one thing. No matter how bad I think my life is today, somebody else probably is, is in a deeper boat right. than I'm. Right put things in perspective. That's some great advice. And what you shared, certainly, you know, a, a lot of things with fear, it is something real that is generating that fear. And it's not like we should just ignore it, you know, acknowledge, okay, I am afraid of this, but then look at, okay, why am I afraid of it? Start applying that logic, like we talked about earlier, don't let it paralyze you kind of cut away at it and, and deal with it, you know, piece by piece, so that you can not let it prevent you from moving forward, not let it paralyze you. Just go at it carefully and methodically get friends to help you. I love that the suggestion of if you're afraid of interviews, if you get tongue-tied, have a couple of friends or your family members, your spouse, you know, people that you trust, but the, that you can also trust them to be kind to you, but also to, to give you a good advice and be, be critical, uh, be, you know, critical judgment and kind with that judgment, but give you good feedback so that you can kind of help practice and be better prepared. So because mm -hmm. what happens with fear in life is it's not that fear itself, we're trying to get rid of it. We're trying to help people deal with fear. People who don't deal with fear, they get very anxious, even panic attacks and all those things. And they just get in a spiral and they just constantly think, oh God, I'm not going to be able to keep doing my job. Oh God, I can't get this new job, this interview. And they're, oh, that does not prepare oneself for anything. Any, what we, All you're doing is preparing yourself for disaster, for, for a negative outcome mm -hmm. versus dealing with that fear and being productive and saying, oh, I'm scared of that interview because A, B, and C. Okay. I'm going to apply logic and stay calm, 
stay in the moment. What am I going to do? What can I do about A, B, and C? And you know what? With the internet today, you may not have the answers. You can go on Google. You can call yeah. a friend, talk to an expert, talk to a therapist, you know, and, and, and just, again, use logic and try to remain calm. And the calmer you remain, the better you're going to be able to figure things out. Mm-hmm. So I love your advice. And, and again, this is, you know, a lot of, a lot of what we talk to uh, talk about on this, on this podcast and the people we talk to the guests we talk to in their life experience, all of this comes down to psychology 101. This stuff is not to say very complicated. It's just things that a lot of us don't necessarily think about a lot. And it's not, it's, we're not doing strength training. People who want to, who want to like have really nice muscular bodies and legs and upper bodies, they go to the gym and they work really hard. And, and, and that's hard. A lot of people can't do that. But likewise, with fear and with life's challenges and stresses, we got to do some strength training of the mind. And that's what we've been talking about today. Different techniques, being mindful and being using logic and taking a step back after acknowledging what it is. And these are all about better preparing your mind to deal with life's challenges. Correct. And in the end, you're going to have a lot more enjoyment and have a much more exciting and rewarding life. So well, mm-hmm. thank you very much. I appreciate some very wise advice and I appreciate your experience. Fun talking about cars and coasters with you. And uh, this oh. the final thing I guess here, Mayor Frutos, is yes. um, of course, you're mayor of Burbank and been on the city council. You know, for those that are not in Burbank or maybe not even California, is there any way that people would be able to to, to learn more about you or see more about you, maybe on social media or YouTube or website, anything you'd like to share there, people out, people can find you. Uh, they can find me at my city council email address, which is B, my last name, F-R-U-T-O-S at burbankca.gov. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And I believe you also have your mayor show. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, I try to uh, pick different unique businesses within the city of Burbank to continue to inform people of how unique Burbank is within its 17 square miles. And these are the people that come to work day in and day out and are part of the, the fabric. And it's a unique, like West Coast Customs is a unique uh, icon type business that they, you know, they're expensive because they soup up cars and paint cars and but they're in Burbank and they've got a connection to the studios and they got a connection to the car culture here in Burbank. And it's the next evolution of people focused on cars, not necessarily the 50s cars or the old traditional cars when we think of fixing up older cars, but they will fix up new modern cars with new modern technology and stuff. And it's really exciting of the future of our transportation and automobiles. Excellent. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, I've seen it. It's the mayor show is, is the, is the, and it's for West Coast Customs. In fact, um, uh, David, let's make sure to, in the uh, podcast notes for this episode, so let's link to the mayor show, especially that episode of West Coast Customs, because again, it's about cars. We talk about cars and it's linked up with coasters. It's about uh, West Coast racers a little bit in there. You talk about that. And so it all kind of links up to what our, our, uh, our listeners are big fans of, and they're one of their passions. So mm-hmm. excellent. So yeah, hopefully our listeners will get to see that. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. You know, your time is very busy as, a, as an elected official. And I thank you for, for giving us an hour of your time today. I very much appreciate that. Well, I just appreciate both you and Dave and giving me, like I said, in my seven years, I can honestly tell you, I've never had this type of uh, podcast and talking about fears. Usually we talk about politics or 
why I voted a certain way. So this is a, a refreshing uh, podcast. Uh, I like the subject matter that we were talking about. And I really hope that my two cents really helps one of your listeners. And uh, I hope that this type of information that we, we both shared with each other um, touches somebody's life and helps them for the better to conquer their fear. And I hope so too. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You guys, good night. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Mirafudos. That was a really awesome interview, Jenna, would you say? Oh, yeah. I, I, it's so hard not to be proud of where we come from, where we grew up, where we went to school. What Bob explained about just what he has, how he's faced his fears, not just and his stories on his roller coasters. I know Bob doesn't ride a lot of roller coasters, but still, the, the caving that he yeah. mentioned. Yeah. That is a real fear factor. A lot of people are claustrophobic. I'm I'm one of those being in really tight places like that. Yeah, I would say that is a really good challenge right there. If you are able to do that and be able to come out and feeling stronger about it, that that's I guess one of the key things in this mission is there's roller coasters are just a controlled just, atmosphere basically. Yeah, that you can face your fears on just about anything. The roller coasters are just an example. You faced your fears doing your your jump off of the stratosphere. Yeah, exactly. And so Bob found his by caving. And I will say, it, like I said, there are many different ways you can face your fears. That was a great example. In fact, it was some pretty, uh, I would say out of all the guests we've had on in this podcast, I would say Bob really brought a good perspective. Also, when it comes to fear, there are some good fears to have, but there's some fears out there that we gotta conquer and challenge oh yeah if you let fear control you it controls your whole life and never getting over those fears can pretty much paralyze you yeah and And it makes your life very limited yeah exactly so yes this was a really fantastic episode and right now uh justin how can our guests be able to find us and contact us if for feedback if you enjoyed today's episode be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast And if you want to see more from us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links in the description. Thank you, Justin. And uh, yes, guys, make sure to reach out to us and we will be happy to respond of any feedback you may have on this podcast. We have a really good episode coming up next week. I hope you uh, guys will tune in. Make sure to subscribe to our uh, podcast on any of your favorite podcast networks. It was a great episode, Jenna, would you say? Yep. Until then, next week, this same is David. Same pod channel, same podcast. Yep, but this <laughs> is, uh, yep, but thank you guys. This is David Cantu. And Jenna Gazelle. And we'll see you next week right here on Coaster Challenge. Yeah.